you come to church, another person stands here and tell you, I'm sorry to tell the church this, but Pastor Paul is no longer allowed to be here because he sinned. What would happen to your faith? What would happen to the church? What would happen to you? This could very well happen. Do you know why? I'm me. I'm human. I can and I will sin. If your faith is built and based on an individual, a human being, you won't be here when I fall. Your faith will be destroyed when God decides that he's going to strike me. And I'm ready for that. Are you? Is the church ready for that? In contrast to the improvised Christian that we talked about, the perfect Christian is one that burned passionately and fervently in the pursuit of God. That is a perfect Christian. Matthew chapter 25, verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Use my mouth, Father, as an instrument that you will be glorified, magnified. We want to be a church simply not built on what we see or what we know, but we want to be a church that will shine brightly and fervently and passionately for you. That when the time of the bridegroom comes, we will rise and we will usher your bride, the church, to you. Be the ears and the hearts of those who listen to your word today and cause your word to be like the dew that falls upon the fresh leaves. Amen. The perfervent Christian, when I read to you this verse, it sounded like the wise virgin sounds very selfish. When the foolish says, share to us some of your oil, the wise one said, no, we don't want to. Wisdom and selfishness can coexist in an individual. Did you know that? They're not mutually exclusive. So we can be selfish, but we can be wise at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive, meaning they can coexist. And this particular parable, wisdom is actually preferred because most of the time we need to take care of ourselves first before we can take care of others. Unfortunately for many, especially parents, our public image is so important to us that we have to show other people that we are caring individuals. Even though when we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're dying, we still want to show other people that we care for other people more. But what good is a person who's already dead? You cannot take care. And that is negligence of responsibility that's outweighed the fact that you sit down, you eat, you take care of yourself, then you take care of your child. When you fall over and die, people will look at you and say, that's a fault because you only care about your image and not the reality of the situation. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth and meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in the vessels with their lamps. Last week I spoke about the church being a place where the virgins assemble. From the outside, we all look the same. We all have love for the Lord. If I ask you, how many of you here love God? 
We all want to raise our hands. A lot of people, and most people outside looking at the church and look at the people in the church, and they say, hey, everybody loves the Lord. Everybody is a Christian. But in fact, this story tells you that there are two kinds of Christians. There are the foolish and there are the wise. Which one are you? That is the question that we don't have to prove to God because God already knew which one are foolish and which one are wise. The question remains is, do we know which one we are? And that is the question that we need to answer ourselves. I told you, if your Christian walk is one that is improvised, meaning I won't prepare, when I come there, I'll figure out what to do. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, think, live your Christian life today in such a way. You're not preparing, you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying because you're thinking, one of these days, I will pray. One of these days, I will read the Bible. One of these days, I will go serve the Lord. We all think that. Don't deceive you. Don't lie to yourself. We all think that. I think that. After I graduate from college, then I will serve the Lord. That is an improvised Christian. We think that we don't have to do it today because we will figure it out. That is pride tomorrow when the time comes. But that is the attitude of a foolish virgin. On the outside, they're all the same. But why is this important? Can I be foolish and get into the kingdom of heaven? That is the question. Can I remain foolish and get into the kingdom of heaven? You're right. No. You cannot be foolish and get... Doesn't God have mercy over the fools? Yes, He does. He has abundant mercy over the fools. And that is why we are still alive. But the fools need to get to the place where they are no longer foolish. To get into the kingdom of heaven, we must be wise. Because we serve the only wise God. The reason why we're here and the reason why this exploration into wisdom and foolishness is for you. It is not for God. It is not for me. It is for you to search your own heart and answer this question. Am I a fool or am I a wise individual? To answer that question in some degree, look at the way that you live your life for the Lord. Do you prepare every day to seek the Lord? Do you prepare yourself every day to study and to learn about God? Do you prepare every day constantly for the day when Christ will return? Because if you don't believe that Jesus will return, you are the most of all ignorant. And that word means a fool. Because Jesus will return. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But the wise took oil in the vessels with their lamp. We know that we serve a God who did not wing creation to being. He planned it every single day. And after he created every day, he said, and it was good. He already had a plan how creation should unfold. And he created according to his plan. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, said the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God has a plan for, actually that's very trite for me to say because you hear that all the time. God has a plan for you, but that, what does that mean? God has an expectation for us. God has an expectation for each one of us. If you do not enter into God's expectation of how you should be, then you are truly very, very unwise. To put it bluntly, foolish. 
Because God expects us to be a certain way. He's the God who plans from the begin, beginning, creation. He plans, he knows that we will fall, so he plans salvation even before we fall. He gave the law even before Adam sinned. Remember, God knew. God gave the law, God gave the boundary. But to show us that we have a wise God, creation reflects God's wisdom when creation itself becomes wise. This is how we reflect God's glory is when his creation become wise. A fool cannot glorify God because a fool would reflect the foolishness of the sinful humanity, but the wise reflect God's wisdom and glory. We must reflect God's wisdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 gives us this image of what would happen to a person who's been through the transformation process. Now, we have been given life in this body, and this body that you and I have is sold to sin, meaning it can't do anything good. So what God has done was God gave us a new life. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. When you believe in God, this term believe is absolute when I say it. It is not relative. We really have to come to a point where it has to be evident in our lives that we are truly new creatures in the Lord. So what God does in the renewal of our, of our soul is that God's given birth to someone inside each one of us. Someone who's living in this body. And that is your soul. That is the new creature. You don't see it. You don't feel it. But it's there by faith. In the hearts or in the lives of each of the believers, there is a little child. Your soul is a little child that's in there. How many of you wake up every morning, whatever time you wake up, every afternoon, and realize that there is a life, an eternal life inside of you, and you think about it, and you nourish it? But how many of you wake up, and the first thing you think about is this body, this flesh? You dress it up. You wash it, or you should wash it, you should dress it. But that's all you think about. The other self, the eternal self, you have no knowledge of. Two entities that exist inside each one of us. There's your soul, and there's, there's your body. What God wants to reveal to us, to you and I, is to take away from us this veil. Take away from us this complacency, if you will, that we live and think that, all flesh will somehow one day get to God. And God said, no. If you live by the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. Meaning, two of you cannot live at the same time. One of you have to die, whether it's your soul or whether it's your flesh. Which one? And that decision has to be made every day. And what happened in this story is this revelation because God knows which one will live and die. Do you know which one live and die inside of you or in your life? Will your flesh live or will your soul live? Because only one can live, the other one must die. What God does is that he brings us all into the church and we feel great, I'm in the church, I'm safe. I'm burning for the Lord, I sing the song. So the light the virgins bring into the church is the evidence of your Christianhood in, in a way, if that is the term. I like to coin new terms. So we come into the church and we all light up like 
like Christmas tree lights. We are there. We look at this tree. If this tree is the church, every light bulb on that church is a, a, a Christian. And from a distance, everybody looking at that church and say, wow, it's pretty. All the lights are all the same. Is it? God saying, I'm interested in something that is true, that is sincere, that is real. Aaron is Moses' brother. He was chosen to be the, the high priest. Nadab and Abihu are his sons. What happened to them? Like I said last week, the body, your temple, has to have the light of God burning all the time. And I thank God we all come into the church having our light lit. The temple has the light of God. But the scripture also tells you that not all light are created equal. This story it epitomizes the insincerity of a person's heart. So Nadab and Abihu, what they do is this. Instead of going to the altar of sacrifice and take the fire from there, which is lit by God, they don't. Don't know where they got the fire, but they got fire. And to you and I, fire look the same, right? He got fire, she got fire, we all have fire, we come together and we sing Kumbaya. There's no difference. But to God, the fire very different because God is very discerning. God cares about the fire that comes from the altar. Any other fire, the scripture said, is strange fire. But to us, it's all the same. So you and I, we come into the church today, we sit there, and we think we're all burning. We're all lit up with some kind of fire. And some of you come into the bride's house bringing your own fire, not the preordained fire that comes from the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You never come to know who Christ is. How can you get the fire from the altar? So you bring in your own fire. You're dressing in your own clothes and you come into the party thinking that, hey, I'm here. What's the big deal? But to God, it is a very big deal. And He wants us today to realize what kind of fire do we have that we brought into the house of the Lord. Is your fire the one that came from the Lord Jesus Christ? from the altar, from the sacrifice, the death of Christ, or is your fire came from you? To God, it's very important. If you come into the church of God carrying your own fire, the consequences of that is like Nadab and Abihu. What happened to them? They die inside the temple. And so many Christians today die inside the church of God because they did not have the fire of Christ at the altar, never met him never came to the altar, never saw the death of their own flesh. So they take their own fire and brought it into the temple of God and burn in, in the temple of God's strange fire. That is very disrespecting to the Lord, bringing your own fire. Five of the wise virgins and five of the foolish virgins, from the outside, they all have light, but the quality of the light is very different. So even to some of us, we're looking at fervent Christian, or we're looking at Christian, we say, well, that person is a Christian. You can't tell a difference. But that person might not be filled by God's grace. They might be filled by their own ability. There are many kinds of fuel out there. How to profile a perfervent Christian. A perfervent Christian must have a vessel for oil. Verse 4. But the wise took oil in the vessels with their lamp. The foolish come into the bride's residence bringing fire, bringing the lamp with fire lit on it. They look 
like everybody else, the same, but they didn't bring extra oil. Well, why do you need to bring extra oil? To keep the fire lit, yes. But how many of you today bring extra oil? How many of us bring extra oil? How many of you pray just enough so that your conscience is not bothered? How many of you pray just before you eat, before you sleep, and thinking that's enough, that's sufficient? How many of you read just enough so that it will be sufficient that you can call yourself Christians? How many of you store the Word of God in your vessels? How many of you store the prayer for not only for yourself, but for your souls? How many of you actually pray for your souls? We might not think that we only come to God with enough fire and it won't last. We need to have sufficient oil. We need to have enough oil. There's a woman who came to Elisha and told Elisha that she had no money to pay her husband's debt. He's dead. And now they're coming to take her, to take her sons, to take all her possession. And Elisha told her, this is what you need to do. Go to your neighbors and borrow as many vessels as you can. When she borrowed all the vessels that she can find, what happened to the vessels? It miraculously filled with oil. You see, God provides the oil. Who provide the vessels? We do. God gives you the grace, but we have to have the container to contain. The prophet told her, go sell it. Take care of your debts. We have the debt that we have to pay. God provides us with the means and the way to pay for it. We need to come up with the vessels. As the wise virgins took with them, what? The vessels to carry oil. God will give you the oil, sufficient oil, to keep you burning until the day that you will meet Christ. Your mind is a vessel. Your heart is the vessel. Your humility is the vessel. We need all of that filled. Do you prepare your mind with the Word of God? Do you prepare your heart with the prayer that sanctifies that heart so that the Word of God comes in there, becomes life to you? And most of all, when all of that knowledge and grace come upon you, do you have the sincerity and do you have the humility to let go of all of those things and give God the glory and said, it is only by the grace of God that I have what I have. Those are the vessels that you need to prepare for your life. The Holy Spirit is the oil. Our fire should be fervent expressions of God's attributes. So when you have prepared the vessels, your life should reflect God's attributes, meaning you'll be speaking the things of God. You will be reflecting God's image and glory. You would be saying things from the scripture, giving life instead of taking life. That's how you know that your vessels are full with oil of God. Number two, a perfervid Christian must sanctify the vessel by mortifying the flesh. The perfervid Christian recognizes that the flesh is absolute depraved. Like I said in the beginning, one day when you hear that I've fallen, I shot somebody, I ran over someone and then keep on going, I didn't saw a hit and run, something. When you hear what happened, how would you respond? Will your faith be shaken? God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. As a person who stands here and ministers to you, I have to be prepared to when God will strike, I will be dealt with that hand and I'm prepared for it. What if I get into a car accident and I don't survive? What if I do something I will regret? 
what will happen to the church? What will happen to you? The flesh, we must not put our dependence. We must have put this body down and say, even though I rely so much on this body to be what I want it to be, but we have to put it down. It cannot take the place of the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwell no good thing. Great apostle said this, in this body, in this flesh, there's nothing good about it. There is nothing good about it. Forget it. Any of you thinking that by your grace, by your good look, by your ability, by your intellect, by your niceties, you are able to come into the kingdom of heaven. Forget it. It won't work. It never will. So let it all go. If you think that you will stay beautiful forever, well, you're in for a very ugly surprise. Because time have a way of killing us all. Begin with our good looks and ends with our decay. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Here is the answer. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We must try to eliminate this flesh from the equation. Nothing in this flesh will glorify God. So mortify the members of your body, meaning different parts, different areas of the things that you struggle in this life. Remember Jesus said this, if your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, do what? Plug it out. Because it is better to be maimed to enter into the kingdom of heaven and to have two eyes or two hands and enter into eternal condemnation. But have you ever considered, how do you cut off your hand? Or how you plug out your eye? You have to use what? Your hand. A perfect Christian is the one that will be able to master his own body. So if you want to cut off your left hand, what you need to do? You need to have mind control over this flesh. That is really hard to do. Have you ever tried to hurt yourself? Have you ever tried to slap yourself? Yeah, that's basically the hardest extent that you will be able to do. Ow, I hurt. Help me. I need a doctor. We need to abandon all of our reliance on the flesh. We can't do it. We cannot do it. Verse 5, Why the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Time. The reason why God delay, well, you know, let me explain to you. God's delay is not because God's late. God's delay is that He decided today He's going to put you in that corner of the timeline. That's God's delay. So He decided that you will exist at this corner of the timeline. So if that is the beginning of time and that is the end of time, God's delay is this. God's going to take you and bring you and put you at this corner of time. But that is still the end of time. So God can decide to take you and put you right at the end of time. That's God's delay. Time still exists within the predefined timeline that God has ordained. Where God has put you, you might think that God delayed, but that's not God's delay. He decided to put you in the front of time or in the back of time or right now in the middle of time or toward the end of time. God's not delay. Don't misunderstand. God's not delay. But to test your hearts, how long you would last in your own flesh, in your own ability. So God 
allow you to go through all this time, and then there come a point where you realize, my God, I am truly weak. I don't have the strength. And that's what God wants you and I to come to a place where we realize that our hearts are indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. How many times did Christ came back to the three chosen disciples and say, would you not stay one hour with me and pray? Three times. First time he said, pray that you enter not into temptation. Three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is coincidentally translated to oil press. Gethsemane means oil press. It is the place where we will be extracted. The oil, the God's grace in our lives will be extracted so that the flesh will no longer be a vehicle in which we can live. Only the grace of God that is extracted out of us. This is the meaning of Gethsemane. So the three disciples that were there they, their flesh could not keep them awake, but their heart, they wanted to. They wanted to pray with Christ. I know each one of us want to live for Christ, but we have to come to a place where the oil that's pressed out of us in the Garden of Gethsemane, what were they doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? They were praying. They were praying. They, they tried to pray. They didn't succeed in staying awake, but they tried. And then the third time, Jesus came to them, and what did he say? Sleep on now and take your rest. You know, God wants to bring each one of us to the place where we would sleep. And then when we wake up, we realize, my God is still here. He did the fighting for me, even though my flesh didn't have the strength to do it. Christ never left them. If it were me, if my disciples were sleeping while I go praying, the third time I see them, do you think I would do? Kick them just sleep. I'll just leave. But that's not God. He stayed. He told them, sleep on now. Take your rest. He fight for you. You know, do you attempt to pray even though you don't last long as you want it? Do you even attempt? That is the question. Or do you just give up before you attempt to even pray? Do you attempt to read even when it's difficult and you don't understand a thing? Do you even attempt? Or you just give up before you try? Only one quarter of all the disciples went with Christ. They didn't make it. They didn't stay awake like they wanted to. But their attempt is what caused Christ to fight for them. He, we pray for all of them. Are you convicted to share the gospel to a stranger, a friend, even though you gave up for fear? Do you have that conviction? Those are the questions I want to ask. Are those things inside of you? Or we give up even before we try? The process of overcoming the flesh is not the actual victory, but the conviction to engage in the battle. That's where we need to be. The conviction. Now, it was the third time that Christ came back and he saw them. They stay around. They tried. It's not, they didn't give up. They tried, even though they realized that the flesh is weak. And Christ knew that. And he uttered those words of comfort to them, to you and I. Even if you try to pray and you fall asleep, that is what God's after. Your heart, the conviction to pray. And if we persist, we will have the day when the grace of God will truly be sufficient for us. The Apostle Paul, when he has the thorn in the flesh, remove this from me. And the answer comes back is, my grace, my grace is sufficient. It's okay. It's okay to live with that thorn. My grace is sufficient for you. Because what God wants to do is cause us to not put any reliance on this flesh. Because if he removed the thorn on the side, then Paul will rely on his strength. But that's not what God wants us to do. If you continue to pray and you fall asleep, 
It's okay. God will not remove that sleep from you. He wants you to continue to pray irrespect to your fallenness because His grace is truly sufficient for you. It's a very different gospel than what you used to listen. The wisdom of a fervent Christian is that he knows that Christ will come back. At midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. You know, even the foolish will concede that Christ will come. No one, no one will deny that there will be a time when every evil that exists in this world will come before the Lord. Someone has to judge all of these things that happen. We all know this. We all know this very well. But only those that reject it are the ones that truly dishonest with themselves, denying that Christ would not return. But yet for all of the warnings that we have, we continue to ignore. And you know, in history, the day that Noah went into the ark, what did people do? They eat, they drink, they got married, and then the rain came and destroyed them all. Sufficient warnings were there. They just never listened. They knew that it would happen, but they never listened. So all the ten virgins left. They all look like they have failed to stay up, and they did. They, none of them, even the wise them, they fell asleep. We all, in our best effort, will fail. I guarantee you, I will fail. Each one of you will fail. Man, this is so contrary to all the preaching out there that you heard. We're all going to fail. We will fail. But it is God's grace that will sustain you. Do you have God's grace? Do you have God's grace because of this? You, you know, when all of the ten virgins fall asleep, did they worry that their light will be put out? Did they worry? No. They were trying to stay awake. Why were they trying to stay awake? The more you try to stay awake, the more you will sleep. We know this. When my dad was in the hospital, I really cared for him. And I tried to stay up with him. And the more I tried to stay up, the harder it is for me to stay up. I fall asleep and I feel so bad. You know why? Because I love him. I want to be there. I want to stay awake for him, but I couldn't. The flesh is weak and we have to come to a place where we realize that. And so the more we tried, we tried to live this godly life for God. And yes, we need to mortify the deeds of the flesh. But in the end, it is God's grace that keeps that fire burning. It's not you. It's not you. When you hear that a leader has fallen and you see it in your life that you've fallen, it is the grace of God that you should rely on to keep you going for the Lord. Because when you fall asleep, there's nothing you can do. You can't trim the light. You can't feed the oil. When you fall asleep, there's nothing you can do. It is only God's grace that continues to sustain you when you're already asleep. When the hour has come, they all will wake up. The foolish virgins who are in the church, we all will appear at the judgment seat of Christ. They all make preparations to go out to meet the groom. Yet, the truth will strike at the cold hearts of those who relied on their own strength. The wise and the foolish separated by only one thing. The wise one brought oil. No effort of their own. Just carry an extra cruise of oil. That's all they need to do. That's all you need to do. God does not require you to stay up and wait for the bridegroom to come. You will fall asleep, but it's okay as long as you have the grace of God. God will continue to shine even though you have fallen asleep. Isn't that great? You don't have to worry about it. You will continue to shine even though this body will fall. You continue to shine. That is a great blessing to know that God sustained you. You don't have to do anything except bring the oil. 
And the foolish said to the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. The foolish, let me tell you the trait of the foolish. The foolish first, they rely on themselves. When the time comes, I'll figure out what to do. And so they did. When the time comes, they wake up and saw what? No fire. Big problem. How can I go and usher the bride to the bridegroom when I have no fire? What they do? Ask another flesh. The foolish will always rely on the flesh, whether it's your own flesh or someone else. This is the mark of the foolish. They rely on the flesh because they have never came to the point where they recognize who God is. They never came to the altar. They never knew God. So when they wake up out of the slumber, like everyone else, the light's out. First thing, they turn over and saw another flesh. Give us some oil. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. The wise and the fools, they fall asleep. They heard the announcement. They wake up. Five of them, the light's gone. Five of them, light's still burning. The wise look, wow, my light's still going. They're as surprised as the foolish one. Look at the lamps. Oh, it's all dead. So the foolish turn over to the wise and say, hey, share. It's a good thing. Share. Even the kids, we taught the kids to share. And so the foolish turn over to the wise and said, hey, share with me so that I can light my fire. The wise says, no, I can't. So to us, we think that is selfish. We think that is inhumane. How can you let these people die? How can you let these people lights go out? We think that is selfish. That is not altruistic at all as individual, as human being. But little that we realize throughout the process, the flesh is dead. The mind of the wise virgins, they only have one thing in their mind. You know what it is? I am going to see the prince. That's all that's in them. The flesh, I don't care what you think of me anymore. I don't care if you call me selfish. I don't care if you call me inhumane. I don't care if you call me, it doesn't matter to me because my purpose now is to usher the bride to the groom. My purpose now is to bring the church to Christ. So call me whatever you want. I need this oil to make it there because God's grace is only sufficient for you. Remember that. God's grace is only sufficient to you. And secondly, who are we? Who are you? Who are you to think that you can dispense God's grace? Are you God? There's this God complex that we play. And we think that we can save mankind. We think that we can save our fellow man and we play God. Don't. God's grace is only sufficient for us. No one else. So, that puts the question way before they all slumber and sleep, not after. It's too late. It's too late. Remember this. God's grace is sufficient for you only, and you cannot share God's grace because once you do share God's grace, you will not make it because you're not God, and your responsibility is not drawing people to you. Your responsibility is drawing people to the source of that oil who is God and not you. So, when you share that oil, imagine they can go maybe halfway because you've given half of your oil. And who do they thank you? It feels good. It looks good. makes you look very altruistic. But you won't make it. You both will die. Because you only have been given sufficient grace to make it to the door. No more, no less. So the grace that your friends need 
will have to come directly from God, not from you. You cannot play God. You cannot share God's grace. You and I, we cannot dispense God's grace. And that is why the wise will say, not so. We cannot do this. Because all responsibility, you and I, all responsibility is to take this church to God, to the bridegroom. That is our responsibility. Now, if someone comes and said, no, share with us your response. My response to them is, I cannot. I have to spend adequate time. I have to do my own study. I have to do my own prayer. I don't have time. Besides, you need to come to the Lord. This has to be our message because the church has been playing God for so many years and we don't make it. We won't make it. You need to put on your mask. You need to feed yourself. You need to become strong. Once you share God's grace, you won't make it. They have to come to God for the source of all that grace. That is why the wise virgins told the foolish one, lest there be not enough for us and for you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we come to you in humility, and we know, Lord, it is so contrary to our own nature. We want to have you to have the source of life, and yet we want to look good in the delivery of it. God, this flesh, all it wants is to look good. All it wants is to feel good and to look right and to look perfect in the eyes of men. But I pray, Lord, that we would come to the point where we mortify this flesh. We'll break it down and we live by the grace of God that's been given to us. For it is truly that your grace is sufficient in all things. For when we are weak, that is when we are strong, not because that our strength has been restored, but that your grace continue to burn, continue to light, continue to be a beacon of hope and salvation even when we have fallen asleep. I ask, Lord, that each one of us today will come to realize that we need to do on this side of the call to bring those around us to heed the voice of God and to come to the maker and the dispenser of all grace who is our God. Father, help us, Lord, before the bridegroom come, before that voice that calls out, the time has come to an end. Father, help us to bear in our hearts the burden for the lost, for those who would need, they don't need us, Lord. Cause us to, to, to erase this selfish ambition that we will become something great, something grand, something marvelous in the eyes of those uh, around us. But cause us to humble ourselves and point the way to Christ. Cause us to humble ourselves and and bring and usher and push those that are around us to you, the, the source of all life and all grace. And I pray, Father, that you would raise each one of us up and instill in us today as we heard your gospel, your message, that we will no longer rely on the strength of our own ability, but that we would rely on the grace of God that would carry us even when we have fallen asleep. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us would come to the reality of our weaknesses, of our ability to fall, inability to meet your standard, but that we will fall on our knees even today, Lord God, and cry out first for our own soul, 
that you will deliver, that you will save, that you will grant it grace, Lord God, that it will be autonomous, apart from our flesh ability to control and to wake up and to do all these things that we so desire to do because we love you and cause us to be the voice saying to people around us, seek God and live, seek God and live. Amen. Amen.